And I really feel that this, I have a passion that when we do Bible preaching, Bible teaching, it touches people, that it's not just I know now, I now know more, but something changes. Something changes in our worship, something changes in us, in, in this, we don't, we don't just do this to fill the time, it's because there's the opportunity for every one of us to have a transformational moment, not because it doesn't matter who it is who's standing here, it's because he is lifting up our gaze, he is declaring something to our spirits, he is saying things to our minds in order for us to walk out of here more equipped for our week than we were, more changed than we were when we walked in. Um, so, Father, here we go. Uh, you heard me refer to this last week, but when a giraffe is born, a giraffe gives birth standing up. And uh, if you could look this up, it's quite a sight. So the baby giraffe comes out of the mum's rear end, kind of folded up. And it comes out of, the, and the, the mum is standing up, full height. So the baby sort of comes out, and then it kind of turns and drops. It's approximately six feet. Just So if you're in the bush in the wild and you're observing, they, they just got to come out and plop. And often they end up landing on their head or their neck. And most of us would be like, oh, save the giraffe. But the point is, in that process, a number of things happen. One, the am it, that falling breaks the amniotic sac, breaks the umbilical cord, and encourages the newborn to take its first breath. I think it's a sheer shock of hitting the ground, dropping out of the mother's behind, six foot in the air. I mean, everything about it looks like you're going to kill this thing at birth. Landing on the neck, landing on the head, nothing about it looks good. You, and, and people have rushed in. People have thought, you, you know, out of empathy and sympathy and a desire to give giraffes a better life, they're rushing in to... Let's catch the giraffe. But actually, it, it's, it doesn't help. It actually hinders because all those things then don't happen. So the beginning of the young giraffe's life is not helped by saving it the trauma of its birth. The drop of six foot is required for new life to emerge in a healthy way. Hallelujah. Somebody say that's a good idea. It's just none of us particularly like the idea of dropping six foot in order to have new life birthed in us, do we? The, we'd just like someone to sort of grab us and ease us out into newness. But actually, there's, a, there's actually a biblical principle here that there's a place of testing and a place sometimes of loss and pain is actually the doorway to new life, to new glory, and to new breakthrough. And I spoke about it in a different way last week from Isaiah 61, that I believe he is in the business right now in our lives of turning ashes into beauty, mourning into joy, and sorrow into gladness. That, that, that's what God does, and he does it in abundance. There's no, he has no lack in the area of the ability to turn us around. And we spoke last week about... The things really we need to do to cooperate with that is it's not an automatic process. Um, and so really kind of on that theme, 
again today because this is a season, I think we've, we've been in a season, many, many of us, a season of test, of grieving, of loss. But actually, if we see those things right, they're an opportunity for more glory. God wants to take us to the next level. The Bible says that we go from glory to glory. The route to greater breakthrough, oh, I wish it wasn't this, but often the route to greater breakthrough is going through the pain barrier, is dropping six foot. And the Lord's looking for hearts that are strengthened in the process, that respond well in the squeeze, that find an anchor in Him when it isn't all that they hoped. And actually that prepares you for the new, for the greater, for the bigger anointing, for the greater breakthrough, for the increased glory. If only we knew that. If only God painted a big sign well, here it is today. I'm painting it for you. And uh, would you turn to me? Um, so if you feel you've been in a struggle, you've been in distress, you've been in loss, you're feeling a bit hopeless, good news! Could be the doorway to greater breakthrough in your life. If that's what's written over your life right now, today is a day for change, today is a day for hope, today is a day where you can step into the more, not the less. Because when struggle comes, it makes us think we're less, he's less, and less is going to happen. And actually, his intention that it's the exact opposite. Struggle is the opportunity for us to grow so that we can see him more, be more of who we are, and see more breakthrough. So would you turn uh, to John 11 with me? And uh, We're going to read the story of the amazing Lazarus. <clears throat> From verse 1. <clears throat> now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So this was a family, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and they come up more than once in the Bible. They're quite a key family in the life and the story of Jesus. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But Jesus, when he heard it, said, This illness does not lead to death, for it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha Note this, and her, sister, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said, let's go to, to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and they, you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking a nap. That's my translation. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, ever the optimist, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, though he die, he shall, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is Jesus, his counsel to the mourners. Then, uh, verse 28, when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. <laughs> That's pretty mildly. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Awesome. So I think it's Bill Johnson says that Jesus disrupted every, Jesus spoiled every funeral that he attended. Actually, Jesus was late even for the funeral in this, in this that had already happened. Uh, the, it, it's, a, it's an incredible, incredible story. And, and the first point I've just failed that, that we need to see is just how aware 
that our Heavenly Father is of you. How aware he is of us, of our circumstances. So just because he's not responding to us in how we're feeling and what we're going through in the way that we're requesting him to does not mean he's not aware of what we're going through in an intimate way. And sometimes we can read him wrong and like, you're not doing what I prayed, you're not doing what I need, you haven't done what I've needed, uh, that means you don't care and you don't know and neither of those things are true. That's the wrong answer to the logic of the situation. Whatever you're going through and whatever you've been through, he is aware of all the losses, all the disappointments, all the delays, all the criticism. Your reality is a thing to God. He's aware of the bad stuff. He's not just this sort of person who lives in untouchable glory and victory and when you're not making it, he's distant from you. He stood at, I mean, he stood at Lazarus's tomb and he wept. He said he was moved deeply. It's not, it's not, our Heavenly Father is not a detached power who does stuff. He is a living person who's intimately connected to us, to how we're doing and what we're going through. He cares about your reality. He cares about and feels how you're feeling about how you're experiencing life. It's actually the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now he was connected to what, what made him weep was how they were feeling and how they were responding and what they were going through. And actually, at one level, he was the cause of them feeling it. He deliberately delayed showing up. So he was connected to the reality. But he knew he was about to introduce a different reality without denying their current one. And it's a mistake to think that because God, because the other way we can go is because God is brilliant at this thing called empathy and we start to realize he is connected to my reality is connected to me and cares about me in in my difficulty that we can then bring about another conclusion which isn't right which is he's there and he approves of how I'm feeling and what's going on that his presence in caring equals approval does that make sense because he showed up means this must be what he wants. No, 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 no. What he's showing up to, why, why you experience him close in times where there is disappointment, there is loss, there is delay, there is criticism, is because he cares about you. And he cares about what you care about and he's connected to your reality and he wants you to know that. That doesn't equal that he approves of it. His presence doesn't make it kosher. It's not the presence of the Lord in 
our state is not to be confused with his approval or acceptance of the status quo. It's the wrong conclusion. So he was, he was in their reality. He stepped right into their pain. He stepped right into their loss. He stepped right into how they were feeling. He stepped right into the crowd, right into the emotions. The whole thing, he was in it. He was feeling it. He, they were crying, so he was crying. He was not detached, but he wasn't submitted to their reality, even though he was connected to it. And he wasn't constrained by their reality, although he was feeling it deeply. That's clearly communicated twice. It says he was deeply moved. Whereas as humans, sometimes when we get overwhelmed by how we feel, we can start to lose touch with his reality and we feel constrained by what we're feeling and by our circumstances. And those things become our reality and we start to live and have our expectations built by the things that we're feeling and seeing because they seem to be so real. But our Heavenly Father isn't like that. So just because he's feeling and seeing it doesn't mean he's constrained or limited by or even submitted to what, he's going, what you are going through. But we can end up submitting. We talk about phrases like we're under the circumstances. We're doing well under the circumstances. Do you know that kind of thing? We say under, it's almost like under the circumstances defines what we're feeling and how we're thinking. And it, if we're not careful, starts to defi- define what we expect out of life and what we expect out of God. I mean, God is so good at tender mercy. He's skilled at empathy. But don't confuse it with him being trapped by what you're going through or affirming it. You may feel like you've been in a hole, but the fact that he's climbed into it with you is in no way because he's just there to sit with you and leave you in it. And there's, a, there's a, some key scriptures here because sometimes you can, in, when you read this story you can focus on what God did, what Jesus did. What, he was there to, re, to, to reveal more of his glory. This is an incredible miracle to raise someone from the dead who's incredible miracle anyway, but someone who's been dead for four days, they, the reason for the stench is because decay has set in. So this is, this is resurrection at, on steroids. This is resurrection plus, plus, plus. This is the impossible become even more impossible. And we can focus on that, and, and we're going to talk about that. But, but the other thing that's going on here, and you could miss it, is the conversations he's having with the two sisters and what they're express, expressing to him in the midst of their difficulty. They're, for all they know, their brother is dead, is in the tomb, and everybody is crying about it. It was a dear, close relative, and they are sad. They are in full-on mourning. And so is, and the, not only are they... It's still on. Yeah, there we go. I'm back. I've got a little 
resurrection in my microphone. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not, their hope was that Jesus would come and heal him before he died. That's very clear. In fact, they had faith for healing in Jesus' name. Didn't they? They're like, if you'd been here, you'd have healed him. So that was their, they, they were at a level of glory. They were at a level of faith where Jesus was about to take them was to a faith for resurrection. But they didn't know that. All they were like, oh, he's dead. He's like, dear brother, it's just so sad. And if you only he'd been here. Do you see? Some, but the way they express themselves to Jesus is also important because God works with hearts that are prepared. You can see this all the way through Scripture. There's, there's, they're cooperating even though they don't maybe even know it. <clears throat> and in these seasons, it's both God is active, but we cooperate in order to exit the season in greater glory. Let, let, me, let me try and summarize what I'm saying. Martha is full of faith in the midst of her sorrow, and Jesus is full of sorrow in the midst of his faith. Martha is full of faith in the midst of her sorrow. And Jesus is full of sorrow in the midst of his faith. I'll say that again. Martha said in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a pretty definite statement. She had faith that Jesus was the healer. <clears throat> she then said, now remember, she's just lost her brother. Her emotions are all over the place. She is weeping, her sister is weeping, the community is weeping. I want you to get that she's not some kind of person insulated from what's going on around her. She's a close family member, and when you lose a close family member, you feel it. You cry, you go numb, you, oh, there's all kinds of symptoms that you can manifest probably going on in her life and still inside her, she's able to say when she gets to Jesus, if you'd been here, he'd have been healed. And more than that, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give it to you. So Martha is full of faith in the midst of her sorrow. Just as Jesus is allowing himself to be full of sorrow in the midst of his faith. Even now, even now, I'm feeling these feelings, I'm feeling this rubbish, I'm feeling this thing, I'm so sad. And I know that whatever you ask from God, he's going to give it to you. I think God uses that spark. You see, all through the Bible, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit, she's unmarried, she's maybe 16 years old or maybe younger, and she's just been told that she's going to have an immaculate conception. She has the choice about how she responds. And she's, what you have to realize is that she would know 
that if this actually happened, her, she would be placing herself into a place of, what word can I use? Shame in her community. To say yes to the miracle was saying yes to shame. Was saying yes to a trial for possibly the rest of her life and yet here is God speaking to a woman who says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. It's the same kind of heartbeat that we're seeing here with Mary and Martha. Martha is full of faith in the midst of her sorrow. So she's not denying her sorrow. She's not pretending it doesn't exist. She's not, she's not, not feeling it, but she's not letting what she's feeling deny this reality about Jesus. She's not letting how she is feeling or what she is experiencing or her circumstances shrink her Jesus on the, her faith in Jesus and her Jesus on the inside of her. She's full of faith in the midst of sorrow as Jesus is full of sorrow in the midst of faith. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we're, we're, it's a verse we love. We're called to go from glory to glory. There's even a verse in Romans that talks about going from faith to faith. That's, and, and particularly people, when you first get saved or you come into a new truth, you're like, yes, this is it. I'm changed. I'm going to change the world. Here we go. But so often what starts to happen is we go from glory to glory and then we the continual process somehow levels off I've observed in my life I've observed in other people's lives and churches is the glory to glory is not automatic and I propose to you one of the reasons for that is how we respond to the doorway that God sets up for us to go from glory to glory. It's like, yes, we saw this happen. Yes, we saw this breakthrough. Yes, we're living in this place. And we want to we see that next. And then, rather than seeing that, this sort of, thing dies and this thing doesn't happen and that thing doesn't work and suddenly you can start to believe that that actually you believe you've plateaued you believed it's the end of your level of faith and your level of transformation and your level of breakthrough and we set out with such passion and such great intentions but actually actually the stuff that is getting in the way isn't in the way. The stuff that is not working, not happening, not seemingly breaking through is actually the doorway to your breakthrough. And it's about how we process the stuff that enables us to go from glory to glory. And the way that 
too often I've seen it happen is when we have negative experiences that cause us to lose our, we get disappointed, we lose our hope, and at that point we start to level off and we also then tell other people not to hope too much because we don't want them to get disappointed around us. Maybe you haven't met any Christians like that, but... And we kind of level off a little bit. And, and God showed me a while ago that it's hope deferred that makes the heart sick. So this is in the Bible. I didn't write this. All right, I read this in the Bible and he showed me something from this verse in Proverbs 13. Verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Now what I read for most of my Christian life was disappointment makes the heart sick but desire fulfilled is the tree of life and so what happens is when my desires aren't fulfilled it doesn't feel like life it kind of things dry up a bit but my mistake was to read the scripture wrong and to assume that any disappointment equaled my hope would be deferred but as scripture says, it's hope, that's, it's hope deferred that makes the heart sick. And the trouble with getting a sick heart is it's difficult to keep believing because it's with the heart that we believe. Hello? It's in, it's in here that we believe. So something was happening inside of Martha, which was, I'm going through all this stuff, but my heart is still believing. That's where we need to be. Because that's where resurrection comes. That's where next level comes. It's keeping the faith alive when we're going through the other stuff without denying the other stuff. So she, she'd seen a way of keeping her hope alive so her heart didn't get sick. Is this making sense? So it's not automatic, therefore, if you're disappointed that you have to lose hope. That's the second step in the process. It's not the actual definite outcome we have a role to play in protecting our hearts and directing our hearts when things come along that potentially blow up our hope now hope deferred actually means hope postponed hope so what what we what we prone to do is something happens so all our circumstances start to point in the opposite direction to the thing that God promised. So God said, this is going to happen. Glorious things are going to happen in your life. Glorious things are going to happen through your life. And then we have a season where glorious things are happening. And then he keeps saying that, but all our circumstances go down the toilet. It's like, this is happening and sad things happen and broken things and delay and delay. And the push is this direction. And God keeps saying, no, there's glory, there's greatness, there's all this. So what what happens, deferred hope is like, I'm going to wait, it's deferring it. It's like, I'll wait until the push, the circumstances seem to be more favorable for my hope. I'll wait for a better moment. Do, do you see? But the key, the absolute key, and Abraham was like this too, because it says in Romans 4 that in hope, against hope, he believed. In hope, 
against hope he believed. Why does it say against hope? Because the kind of hope that negativity produces is discouragement, depression, and unbelief. Abraham, in his heart, resisted that, although in front of him, day after day, was a barren wife who was getting older by the day. Everything about the promise pointed this way, and everything about the circumstances pointed this way, and he chose to keep hoping, although the pull of circumstances was backwards, his hope kept going forwards. He didn't wait for a day where it looked more likely that she might get pregnant, and that day I'll hope. The longer it went on, not only the more unlikely it became, it became completely impossible, but he still hoped. What I say, what say to you is, although Lazarus was now four days dead, Martha still had hope. So how are you doing? King David had a promise that he was going to be king over all Israel, but spent quite a bit of his life running away from the current king Saul. One day he comes back to his camp with all his men and all the wives and all the children have been taken away by a raiding party. And his men turn on him and they want to stone him. And it says that David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter of soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in God. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm not going to let my disappointment destroy my hope. I'm not going to let the loss of my wife and my children and all my friends' wives and children put me to a place where I've stopped believing the promises of God on my life. He strengthened himself in God. He, he marshaled his armies. They pursued. They got everything back. You know what? Within three days, he was literally holding the crown to the kingdom. Saul died, possibly that day or the day after. He went from, he could be stoned to death by his men to holding the crown. What was the difference? Strengthened himself in the Lord. Kept his hope alive. Didn't give up on the promise. I know that we have incredible promises over our lives. We have incredible promises over our lives, don't we? <laughs> the point where it seems to all be going wrong can actually be the doorway to breakthrough and promotion. The point where you think your dream is in the tomb and it's been there so long it's stinky could be the point where Jesus is going to come and bring it out and bring it to life.
As I get older, I do not want to be guilty of telling people not to get their hopes up. I do not want that to be thought of by me or others that this is the wise thing to do. God wants us to leave a legacy of breakthrough, of glory, of miraculous, of experiencing a good God, of seeing him work in our businesses and our families and our children. He wants, he wants us to leave a legacy that says to the world around us, our God lives and he brings life to children. He gives life to chronic and heals chronic disease. He, he, he blesses our businesses when they're going to the wall. He, he, makes way, he makes a way in our finances where it just looks impossible. He, he opens doors that have shut for years. He's, he's that kind of God. He's the God who does the impossible and he does it for me and so he can do it for you. And how did I get there? Well, I, I got there through some incredible breakthroughs and some really trying times, but I didn't give up on my hope and now I stand in this place and now I stand in this place of breakthrough so I can hand it on to you. So Jesus, you may be having a great time, you may not. If you're not having a great time and you're feeling sorrowful or disappointed, he, he can be he can stand in your sorrow with you but in the midst of that he's full of faith for you he's looking for you to partner with him and in your sorrow be full of faith how are you doing I believe God spoke to me there's loads and loads of promises in this room there's loads of dreams there's loads of hopes and today he wants to bring them out of the tomb can I guarantee you that every one of them will happen tomorrow? No, I can't. That's not the point. The point is that hope is alive. And that we're not settling for everything our circumstances have told us is possible. I think some stuff is going to come out of a tomb today. Stuff in your life that giving up on is going to get a resurrection. Some of you that will be just the hope coming back, the joy coming back, the expectation coming back. For some of you it will be actually something changes today because God finds in you whatever you Whatever you can do today, God, I believe you can do it. I believe. So we'll see the glory of God. That's what, that's what he said to them. Didn't I say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Who, who would like to get to the next level of glory? Okay? So let's go through the pain of dropping six feet out of the giraffe's ass. <laughs> It isn't going to kill it isn't going to kill you 
Oh God, it hurts so much. Well, it isn't going to kill you. You're not dead yet. Oh, I don't want to drop. I don't want to drop. Just drop. What happens if I can't get up? You'll get up. You're made to get up. You're made to breathe. You're made for glory. But the route to glory often is through testing. And Hebrews puts it this way, that that testing produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness in those who have been trained by it. The point is, you have to embrace the test, not resist the test. And embrace the test with hope and faith, not not, not allow it to tell you things about God or yourself that are not true. So I'm feeling an appeal coming on here. And there's a lot of ways I could put it. Who's up for dropping out of the giraffe's ass? For more glory. Yeah, I'm going to go through. I'm going to, what are we saying to the Lord? We're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recover my hope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself to believe, even if everything else I've experienced in the last six months, six years, has pointed in the opposite direction. I'm going to believe what you said, even if everything is contrary. That, that I'm going to push through the pain of believing when circumstances tell me not to. That creates psychological tension in most Westerners. Today's the day to push through the pain, to fall out the giraffe and go, God, I believe you. I don't understand it, but I believe it even if it doesn't make sense. Is this making sense now? Is, is this... All right? So something inside you has to go, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's disappointing. Yes, it's painful. But no, I won't stop believing. And that's painful. It's psychologically painful. It's spiritually powerful. Tomorrow you could be king. Tomorrow your Lazarus could come out of the tomb. Today he could come out of the tomb. I'm trying to help you. It's having relentless hope. It's having enduring faith. It's that's how we get from glory to glory. It's tested and we pass the test. All the tests that we've experienced as a community in this last year or so are actually God helping us get to the next level. And as we respond to them with hope and faith, walking through the difficulty, walking through the pain, walking through the sorrow, as we respond to them with hope and faith, we're going to see even more breakthrough than we've ever had. Would you, would you, if, if you want to say, yes, just, just stand up. Just don't have to, but just stand up. Let's do something as we kind of land this. <clears throat> so Holy Spirit, Thank you, you're inside of us, you're in this room. I just release hope. I release hope into every heart and every mind. And 
let me encourage you just, just to do something very like practical. I know sometimes we go, well, why do I have to do this? Well, you don't have to do anything. But responding to God is a thing. It's not just something that we go in our head, well, yeah, I'd like that today. It's a thing. It's a thing that we do. So remember, he sees you. He's, he's empathetic. He's, he's kind, but he's not planning to leave us where we are. I just believe hope is coming into your heart. If you, if you just want more hope and faith, you're just responding in that way. Just, I'd encourage you to place your hand on your heart, and I'm just going to declare it over you again. Just as a simple thing, just a simple thing, say, God, this is me. I nail my colors. I'm going to keep hope alive. I'm going to keep believing. It doesn't make sense. It even feels painful, but I trust you. Like Martha trusted you. Even when her brother was dead, I trust you. My dreams look dead. I trust you. My kids are sick. I trust you. My business is in trouble. I trust you. I hope for better things because you promised me better things. The things I thought you were going to do with my life, they haven't happened yet. But I trust you. I hope in you. I thought I'd be thinner, but I hope in you. I thought I'd be smarter by now, but I still hope in you. Come on. I thought I'd seen a resurrection by now, but I hope in you. I have seen one and planning on seeing more. So God, I release hope into every heart. By the Holy Spirit, hope and faith start to burn in everyone, regardless of circumstances, regardless of losses, regardless of pain, which you fully understand and you're fully engaged with. Hope springs up. Hope spring up. Hope spring up. 